0: Welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, we have exciting news about what's coming on this feed over the rest of the regular season. Plus, Josh Norris of the Underdog Football Network joins me to break down the team he has paid for. Closer attention to than anybody else on the planet this season. The Carolina Panthers, why they fired Frank Reich, whether it was a right move, what they got wrong, and who or maybe if they can hire anybody to replace Frank Reich in 2024. going to talk about all that in a bit. But first, I have something I want to get off my chest, something I want to discuss, and that involves the most prominent player. I feel like in the National Football League, certainly the most discussed player on a week to week basis in the National Football League and a guy who, in my opinion, should probably be the favorite to win MVP right now. And that is Dak Prescott, who I don't think people appreciate how good he has been this season, especially over the last six weeks. He split up the season to, to, to two halves right now. Over that second half of that season, Dak Prescott has played five games. He had his bye. He has an 84.2 QBR over that five game stretch. That is 13 points better than anybody else in the National Football League. He's averaging nine and a half adjusted net yards per attempt, which is a stat, basically like a better version of passer rating. It includes sack yardage into the equation. Uh, more appropriately weights, touchdowns and interceptions based on their historic impact than passer rating, which is a stat from the 70s. But Dak's very good by passer rating too. Nine and a half adjusted net yards per attempt. Brock Purdy is the only other guy above eight adjusted net yards per attempt. Dak is averaging 0.34 expected points added per dropback. Brock Purdy's in second there as well. He's closer to eighth than he is to first place with Dak. Dak has the best completion percentage over expected in the league over that stretch. He's averaging nearly nine yards per attempt. He has thrown 17 touchdowns, to use a traditional stat, 17 touchdowns against just two picks, one of which was off of his receiver's hands. And what I think is really exciting is that Dak's mobility looks to be back for the first time since he suffered that horrible ankle injury several years ago. Outside the pocket over this stretch, has Dice teams up. He has a 98.9 QBR. It's only 28 attempts, so it's a small sample there. But he's 23 of 28 outside of the pocket for 334 yards and three picks. Again, the best mark in football over this second half of the season so far. I know. I talked about this on Twitter. Got a lot of the same reaction. It's been an easy schedule. Over the last five weeks, Dak has played the Rams, the Giants, the Panthers, the Commanders, four bad teams, and the Eagles. The Eagles, we can all agree, are a good team. And Dak and the Cowboys did lose that game, but it was not because of how Dak Prescott played. He was 29 of 44 for 373 yards and three touchdowns. Should have had a fourth, but his receiver was a half yard short of the end zone. And again, we can compare what Dak Prescott did against those teams versus what everyone else has done against those teams. League-wide, playing those teams, the opposing quarterbacks have posted a 54.9 QBR. Dak's QBR against those teams, 84.8. That is the best mark in football against those five teams this season. So, has it only been uh, a a half-season sample? No. Go back to the full season, the gap is not as wide, but Dak is still number one in the NFL in QBR. 76.4, two and a half points ahead of Brock Purdy. He's number two in EPA per drop back. Number three, and adjusted yards per attempt. And I think I'm not being naive or I'm not being disingenuous to say Brock Purdy is getting a lot of help from the players around him. We saw him struggle when Trent Williams went out, when Debo Samuel went out. Uh, he has George Kittle. He has Christian McCaffrey. He has Brandon Ayuk. I think Brock Purdy's playing great. I've talked about him on this very podcast earlier this year as being a viable MVP candidate, not knocking Brock Purdy but Dak has not had that same level of support. CeeDee Lamb's playing awesome, no question. But Dak does not have Dalton Schultz, his starting tender from a year ago. Michael Gallup has not not played well, or has been really more unhealthy, I think, than anything else. We've seen uh, Brandon Cooks, you know, sort of struggle to get a, a foothold in this offense. He's been inconsistent. The offensive line has had injuries, and if you have Tony Pollard in fantasy football, you know he has not lived up to expectations this year. He struggled in that lead role relative to where he was as sort of the 1A back with Zeke last season. So I understand Dak struggled against the Niners. That seems to be the other concern. But remember, when he played the Jets, who are regarded as a very, very good defense, I think they're very good as well. Not maybe as great as people think, but very good. Dak was 31 of 38 for 255 and two scores. He was very good against a defense that is regarded as one of the best in football. And I know that people do not love giving Dak Prescott credit. I know that there's holes to pick in him from his past, but you have to credit him for how he's played this year. And on top of that, speaking of people who I have picked on in the past, I also have to give credit to one Mike McCarthy, the head coach for the Dallas Cowboys, who I was not the only one who was criticizing Mike McCarthy when he came out this offseason, fired Kellen Moore, who I think a lot of people believe is a very good offensive coach and a future head coach in the NFL, and gave his quote about not wanting to light up the scoreboard the way Kellen Moore did and how he wanted to run the ball to protect his defense. And I went through this and sort of figured it was not necessarily the best case scenario for the Cowboys. I don't know the defense really needed that much rest relative to how they had performed. And What I thought was interesting was uh, several people, including my colleague Mina Kimes, came out and said, look at what the Cowboys have done this offseason. It does not point to them running the ball more. It points to them throwing the ball more, if anything. They went out and traded for Brandon Cooks. They went out and let Ezekiel Elliott leave. They cut Ezekiel Elliott and did not bring him back. They really didn't bring any running backs in to compete with Tony Pollard. So that sort of felt like a situation where they were going to throw the ball more and earlier in the season through the chargers game the cowboys were not throwing the ball more they were on neutral situations with neutral game scripts so not trailing not leading by a ton not trailing by a ton on early downs through the chargers game in week six they were throwing the ball 56.7 percent of the time on early downs that's 11th in the nfl not they weren't turning into the ravens the old ravens or turning into you know a run heavy team or anything but they were not one of the most pass-friendly teams in football. From that bye week on, since they came back from their bye, the Cowboys are throwing the ball 65.5% of the time on early downs. That's second best, or second highest, I should say, in the NFL. And that doesn't include what happens late in games where they're blowing teams out. doesn't include situations where the other team is expecting them to run. That's what happens when games are close. And... That's a testament to Mike McCarthy. That's a change that goes against what he was suggesting. It's a change that goes against maybe what his philosophy has been at times. But it speaks to what this Cowboys offense is good at. They're great at throwing the football. They are not a great rushing attack right now. They do not have a running back who looks to be 100% in Tony Pollard. They are a team that's going to beat you by throwing the football. And so leaning into that is a credit to Mike McCarthy being a good coach. So we will see what happens. But... I frankly think given how mediocre the top quarterbacks in football have been this season, how there has not been that runaway candidate who everyone thinks should be the MVP, not only should Dak be in the discussion, but given how he's played recently, I'm kind of surprised he's not the favorite right now. And the good news, if you're someone who's skeptical of Dak or someone who wants to bet on Dak, I suppose, is you will have your opportunity to see how this goes in the next few weeks. He has six games to go, and all those games, five of those games are against teams who are either in the playoff picture, have a playoff spot, or teams who are, who are playoff teams last year who are on the outside of the playoff picture looking in but who are still competing For a playoff berth, he gets the Seahawks tonight on Thursday Night Football. He gets the Eagles after that in his rematch. The Bills, whose defense has struggled, but who are still the Bills. The Dolphins, who have had the best defense in football over the past month. And the Lions, that five game stretch. If Dak Prescott can play well in that five game stretch before a season ending game against the Commanders, that's going to make a difference. Three of those games are on national TV. I would not be shocked in the slightest if the Cowboys-Dolphins game gets flexed Sunday night as well. If that continues to play the way he has played over the last six weeks in those games, he's going to win MVP. And even more importantly, he is going to
1: deserve MVP based on how he has played. ESPN Tournament Challenge is here. And guess what?
0: To talk about the big story of this week, which was Frank Reich's firing in Carolina. Someone who I know has been paying close attention to the Panthers all season. (laughs) Someone who tweets about this godforsaken offense every single week. But someone I respect. Someone I trust. Someone who I know is very knowledgeable about football. Someone who will give us a very fair I think is the Mm. word I'm looking for insight into the Carolina Panthers it's my friend from the underdog network it's Josh Norris Josh first off (laughs) why do you do this to yourself
2: is that the question you're about to ask that
0: (laughs) was basically going to be the question like is it fair to say you've watched every single Panthers offensive snap this season
2: yeah no that, that that's very fair um look At some point, my wife is going to have an intervention with me. Uh, (laughs) I'm one of those people who publicly torture themselves via a one-win team um, that has, and we'll get into all of this, miserable skill players, miserable offensive line, miserable coaching, and uh, a quarterback that's regressing. So I'm so glad that we can look at the optimistic angle of the NFL in week 13, Bill.
0: (laughs) I would love to pretend we're going to talk. I'm going to talk about Dak Prescott in the other segment on this show. So
2: (laughs) the yin and the yang of the league.
0: Yes. Dude. Who's balling out guys who (laughs) have not balled out all season,
2: even once.
0: So let's start with the news element of this. Let's start with, This week, there had obviously been reports for weeks that Frank Reich was on the hot seat. um, You know, it felt like every single week there was someone tweeting, Frank Reich's seat is hot. Oh, Frank Reich's seat is on fire. There's there's actual flames coming out of his office. It felt like this has been building for weeks. So I don't know that anybody was really surprised when Frank Reich got fired this week. But when you heard the news, Josh, what was your initial reaction?
2: That it was the right move. Um, Mm -hmm. predict this happening on Sunday night. Just, there was no improvement as the season went along and look, Bill, we know how poorly it ended during his time in Indianapolis. And look, there was, I think a lot of optimism and I was one of these people hand in the air of the hiring of Frank Reich this summer and bringing in just a bunch of new voices and then coaches he had never worked with. Right. You know, you have his friend and do Staley and Josh McCown. But then you have a new voice like Thomas Brown, who comes from a different philosophy, a, a different offense with the goal, uh, which to be very different than Matt rule, who just brought all of his college buddies around with him other than Joe Brady um, to again, have voices in there that new ideas, new concepts, and we can build something, you know, fresh. And then you go back and I mean, I, I did this in mid November, <laughs> and you look at you know they played out of 11 personnel 90% of the time the rams do that you know 93% of the time but what the rams do is you've shifts and motion 70.5% of their snaps the panthers were all the way down at 29th in the league mm-hmm. at 40% of their snaps and then uh, you know some people might question was that a Bryce Young thing no it's it's a Frank Reich thing because you know through week 9 of last year when he got fired midseason to bring in Jeff Saturday Um, the Colts were 31st in motion rate at that same 39% mark. So for a team that struggled to have their players win in isolation, for a team that struggles in pass protection, he was trotting the same static players out there in similar formations and just doing the same thing every single week. And it just wasn't improving. And so now you scrap it for the second straight season, in season, and uh, try to get it right the next time, Bill.
0: Yes, yes, try to get it right the next time. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but in terms of the coaching staff, I think you brought up a really interesting point because it's something that's been brought up as sort of like a cheat code for the NFL in the past. This idea that you know you you have a salary cap to spend on players, you have a, a finite amount of resources you can spend towards the talent on the field, but there's no salary cap off the field, and so why not go out? and try to build a dream team of coaches. And we saw this happen about 12, 15 years ago now, maybe a decade ago with the Philadelphia Eagles. They very famously, during the dream team era on uh, the the Vince Young teams, they brought in people like Howard Mudd, Jim Washburn, guys who were considered world-class positional coaches at that time. And it didn't work because none of them jibed together. You couldn't get a consistent, coherent plan. And so... You know, I, I think we've seen reporting on this. I know, um, you know, there's been different reports on this topic. You just brought it up. This idea that they had coaches who, you know, on, on paper were exciting. You know, Josh McCown had a great career, a very long career in the NFL,
2: an amazing and, media career. Let's put it that way, an too. Ama- Bill.
0: Amazing media career. Um, he had help. He had great co-hosts to help <laughs> him out. But, but you know, a, a guy, a guy who. I think everyone regarded, you know, you heard about Josh McCown for years. Oh, he's going to be a great coach. The Texans were even thinking about making him their head coach.
2: And Bill, what, what better person to have next to, you know, a rookie quarterback than a guy who's been around for 17 seasons mm-hmm. and literally been on good teams, been on awful teams, been in multiple oh, yeah. systems, and then it just, you know, the whole thing crumbled around it.
0: Right. And I'm not sitting here and saying, hey, you know, Josh McCown's not going to be a good coach. It was his first time. I'm not saying that Deuce Staley, who was fired, is not a good coach. I I don't think that's even the point about saying who's good or who's bad. But just the way that those coaches melded and came together and jibed did not seem to add up to it seemed to add up to much less than the individual parts, which I think is the frustrating
2: part. Yeah. And look, I I think bad teams stay bad because of ownership. I want to put that out there. I am certainly not a big fan of David Tepper, and I'm sure we'll get into that topic. I will say, despite all of that, there's no doubt in my mind that David Tepper wants to win. He just does not know how to win, right? And one way, like you just alluded to, that he thought he could do that, was basically give Frank Reich carte blanche and, hey, spend my money and go put this staff together. But what Cameron Wolf and other people have reported is that, Hey, what they got to this summer was basically Frank Reich's offense and the worse that it got during the season and showed less and less progression, the more struggles the offense had. Cameron Wolf said this, the less Frank Reich listened to those other voices and the input around him and the more he reverted back to the stuff that he knew. And Bill, I know that you watch and I mean, the idea of running just stick routes over and over and over again <laughs> and just similar outdated concepts. Look, other than Andy Reid and a few other Mike McCarthy now, going back to your Dak Prescott conversation, mm-hmm. the league is now a bunch of young NFL offensive minds, right? In a lot of ways. And of I, I think it's fair to say, and he has alluded to this, that Frank Reich's days are are done in the NFL. And he has a bunch of money to show for it. Um, So I think that his concepts are, are kind of outdated at this point, too.
0: Yeah. And I think when you have older coaches in the NFL, like a McCarthy, like a Reed, you have to dress them up. You have to have ways to get to those concepts that are not static, I think is the word you used earlier. That's an important one. You know, it's not like Kyle Shanahan is running passing concepts the NFL has never seen before. Like You can only run dagger so many ways. but. Kyle Shanahan's going to get to every single possible way of having them uh, ha- getting to that, that, that concept and mixing it up with their run concepts and playing off of it as the game goes along. And then Frank Reich's not naive to this stuff. Right. But, you know, there's a big difference between being aware of what's happening elsewhere and actually implementing it into your offense on a week to week
2: basis. And Bill, if I can go into that a little bit more too, like I, I I don't want it to sound like that. Oh, just run motion that that's a cover all right for sure. But what motion does allow is for free releases for wide receivers to get up to speed. Look, we've seen the speed out motion, take the NFL by storm this season. Um, It also allows your quarterbacks to see if it's a man zone tell at times, right? Um, If you motion or shift into. A stacked alignment for wide receivers against zone. We see that every single week in nearly every single game that that causes confusion on the back end in terms of assignments and communication. Um, and then if you just stay in the same personnel groupings every single time, um, that doesn't allow for your offense to you know dictate matchups and take advantage of those matchups. Or if it's just eleven personnel, it doesn't give your five man offensive line enough help that we see throughout the league at times too. with you know, six, seven, eight, e- even eight man protections at times. So, um, I think the other part of this too, is if you, and I guarantee no, one's going to do this, but if you go back and watch the first <laughs> six weeks of this season for the Panthers, and I bet you could look this up, Bill, I guarantee you in like neutral game scripts for as ever long, the Panthers were in those, the play clock went down to 5 seconds or less on them before snapping the football probably at the higher highest rate in the league if not close to it. And so if there was this lack of communication it was clear between Frank Reich and Bryce and it's also come out now that Frank wanted him to wear a wristband just to like say hey call this play then he'll call the play from his wristband. Bryce wanted it fed through his, you know, speaker in his helmet and then just mm-hmm. to repeat that. And it was just very clear that the communication was off. And so if the communication was off and you don't break the huddle until 10 seconds left, then there's no time for these shifts in motion. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how they had this entire off season plus preseason to work out these kinks and then nothing really got better. in that even communication aspect until Thomas Brown took over. What was that in week nine or week 10?
0: Mm-hmm. Earlier than that, I think, because he had a few weeks
2: before Wreck took it back and Rick took it back two weeks ago. Yeah. The, yeah this past week he took it back right
1: mm-hmm.
0: so that, that's actually what I wanted to ask you about that was going to be my next question is is the Thomas Brown change because it, it I think in November Frank Reich did hand back the the play calling duties or handed the play calling duties to Thomas Brown the former Rams uh coach and and it made sense right like there was clearly an issue with with the offense not working Reich yeah, it, it made sense to try something different at the very least. It wasn't going to solve their problems. But maybe it would, you know, spark the offense. And that hasn't, or to, at least publicly, at least looking at the numbers, that didn't change very much. And Reich then took play calling duties back uh, recently to try and, you know, stop the rot. And that did not fix anything before Reich was fired.
2: I think he knew the writing was on the wall that, like, if things didn't improve, um then he was going to get fired. So in a way, and maybe this, I I hate having these sayings, but like he wanted to go out in a shield type situation. Of
0: course, of course. And I think that nobody would be surprised or or not understand that or feel like that was unreasonable. But from your perspective, and, and this is maybe unfair to Thomas Brown, given that you can't implement an entire offense when you're switching from play caller to play caller, you know, during the bye. But from your perspective, did the offense change very much with Thomas Brown as
2: the primary play caller versus Frank Reich? Nope. 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 And I I think that the offense was the offense, you know, that deep into the season and we're focusing so much and rightfully so on the guy who just got fired, but bill, you know, this, it's a bit deeper than that. Um, the personnel sucks. Uh, (laughs) so I guarantee you these concepts and this offense would have looked better. Like, look, we, we talk about a lack of motion and so much 11 personnel with like the Philadelphia Eagles. It can work with them because you have A.J. Brown and Devonte yes. Smith and, you know, different pieces. So, like, with an offense that had better wide receivers who could win in isolation, especially vertically on the outside of portions of the field that then would stress safeties to not allow this defense and the op- opposing defense to just constrict as the game goes along, which then, you know, take away takes away the middle of the field over and over and over again. Right. Then it would have looked better. But, again, when you just have a lifeless play calling, plus, again, slow wide receivers who can't separate, then mm-hmm. I'm talking about the offensive line, then that just leads to, hey, this isn't going to work, and you're basically uh, asking your quarterback to me to have a very thin margin for error on a nearly per series basis. And uh, this is the result so far.
0: That, that's what I think becomes so difficult for me is this idea that because of the offensive infrastructure because of the 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 schematic choices they made on the offense and because they were not willing to do things to make bryce young's life easier in terms of like you said the motion the stacks the the things they could do to try and create separation not just for uh their quarterback storylines but also for the wide receivers and the receivers in this offense it, it felt like you had this offense where all these individual pieces had to win. The wide receivers had to win one on one because they weren't getting help in terms of right. of, of getting easy releases. The the offensive linemen had to win one on one because they weren't getting a ton of help from from you know having multiple tight ends or max protecting or you know heavy play action. And Bryce had to win because none of his receivers were getting open. So it felt like at least you know, from the outside, as someone who, I'm being honest with you, I have not watched every single week of Panthers tape the way you have because I'm a sicko, but not even that much of a sicko. <laughs> you know, it, 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 it it's felt like the windows have been small. It's felt like the opportunities haven't been there. And then on top of that, you have players making mistakes, which there is inevitably going to happen because
2: there's not a lot of confidence. Um And I do want to be fair. Like, Bryce isn't making four to five plays per game that would help them win games, you know? Course. so. Personally, I feel like players, uh, can be products of their environment at the NFL level. That might be (laughs) shocking for people to hear, but when, once again, you are in a situation that we just talked about the play calling, just talked about the skill players when just today, PFF, and I'm sure ESPN's pass pro grades and run block grades might come to the same conclusion, rank the Panthers as the 32nd best offensive line in the NFL. Um, that is going to impact a rookie to me 12 weeks into the season. So are there times when now Bryce young should be staying more patient inside the structure of a play when it absolutely is kept clean and probably hitting an inside breaking route and a second read to that side of the field? Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. That he, there are again, I think you can go back to this past game against the Tennessee Titans, 44 dropbacks. I went back and watched those to me. And this is just my eyes and mm-hmm. everyone can come to a different conclusion. He he should have played better on about four or five of those snaps. Um again, it would make a big difference if he made those. But sometimes, Bill, that's one third down after first and second downs being negative plays. So I don't want to say, sit here and say, well, Bryce Young is definitely not to blame for this because he can definitely be playing better. I, I just it's to me, again, it is right now almost the inverse of that conversation that uh Bryce Young is the problem. And I would push back against that narrative.
0: On paper, that shouldn't necessarily be a surprise. We can talk about the offensive line, but just looking at this receiving core, and frankly, Adam Thielen's been a lot better than I would have expected, or maybe many people would have expected, given how far he had fallen off his final season in Minnesota. And on paper, this receiving core looks... Like 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 it's one of the worst in football. It, Jonathan Mingo is a raw prospect. DJ Chark has struggled to stay healthy. He had you know he sparked right at the end of last season in Detroit when he was healthy for a brief period of time, but he hasn't been healthy for most of this season. Thielen was coming off of his worst season as a pro. He's in his 30s. He's played again better than I think a lot of people would have expected. Hayden Hurst, who is going to be. Uh, the starting tight end has fallen out of the primary role. He's now in a rotation. Right, Miles Sanders. Sanders was coming from a yeah from an offense where he had you know the numbers advantage on the vast majority of his runs. That has not been the case in this offense, and he struggled. Chuba Hubbard's played a little better than maybe people would have expected, but like on paper, I don't remember where I had them in my playmaker rankings, but they weren't very high. And so, is there anything you think? outside of saying hey pick Nakua, which maybe they you know who could have known <laughs> but like 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 on on paper it feels like this was set up for Bryce Young to fail and that's only been the case in reality
2: you know what many fair points there i will say Scott Fitter, the general manager came out before the draft and said look in the last few years we spent a whole bunch of draft picks on the defense that set this past season We've spent on the offensive line and that's fixed. And, you know, that has gone into the sixth overall pick and Ikki Aquanu handing out free agent contracts to prior to last year and Bradley Bozeman and Austin Corbett. And then, you know, Brady Christensen was supposed to be the left guard. And then Taylor Moten previously has been a really, really strong right tackle. Um, Again, I want to stress how awful this offensive line has been this year. And Bill, the run blocking might be even worse. Um, And I actually think part of that is a Frank Reich issue they've kept the same offensive line coach. So it's not like a new staff came in here and then the offensive line coach told them something different. James Campen and you know, the Steve Wilkes starts, or I should say coaching job last year towards the end of the season when they were a smash mouth football team and basically just ran RPOs with Sam Darnold to the outside to like love discussion Um, but Frank Wright came in and that was successful. Frank Wright came in and tried to make them like a wide zone outside zone team. Um, and Bradley Bozeman is one of the least athletic centers in the NFL. They are now trotting out like Brett Toth and Cade Mays at offensive guard and then I think everyone can look up on a weekly basis just the instant pressure that Iki Aquanu is allowing at at left tackle. So like if the blocking up front in the run game and especially in the pass game from the guard center guard combination is mm-hmm. just can't pick up a stunt, can't pick up a twist, can't do any of that, then um it's That is like the foundation for any good offense, right? Um, So it's, yeah, it's been rough, basically.
0: But, and we're going to talk about him now, I think. Doesn't this all then fall back on David Tepper? Because David Tepper is the guy who hired Frank Reich. And maybe David Tepper is not paying close enough attention where he's understanding how Frank Reich is going to change the rushing offense and the rushing the offensive line philosophy for the Panthers. Maybe that's not something he's drilling down on as deeply as maybe Josh Norris is in the middle of the season. And he should be because he's the one who owns the team. But like at the end of the day, if Frank Reich was going to be this inflexible, I don't put that on Frank Reich, frankly. Like you sort of knew what you were getting for better or worse when you hired yeah. Frank Reich. And I, again, I'm with you. I was optimistic about this move. I liked what they did this offseason in terms of the coaching staff. I had some issues with some of the personnel decisions, but I liked the coaching staff that they hired. And it, it I'm not the the owner of a multi-billion dollar franchise here. I, yeah. I should not be the person who should be making final decisions. Thankfully, I'm not. Um, but David Tepper is. And so... It sounds like from your perspective, you feel like David Tepper did not do the appropriate level of due diligence in making this specific hire for this specific team at this specific time.
2: Well, you know this, whenever a coach gets fired, it so frequently a owner then hires someone from like the opposite style or the opposite Mm -hmm. end of the spectrum, you know, Mm -hmm. so let's just take when David Tepper takes over the team, buys it. Ron Rivera is the head coach, right? Uh, Culture changer, guy who has, you know, took the Panthers to a Super Bowl, um, has done a very good job as a longtime NFL coach. You get rid of him. And so what do you do? Uh, Longtime NFL coach to first time NFL coach. And Matt Rule, who quote unquote program rebuilder, right? Um, Then you fire Matt Rule, defensive minded head coach in his past. Then what do you go to? Offensive minded head coach, and it's been pretty clear that. And if you track the interviews last year, Ben Johnson, Mm -hmm. the Lions OC was, you know, probably number one on their list. And he took a zoom interview and then did not get on a plane, uh, for his second interview in person. And I don't know really if that was, oh, the Panthers isn't the job that I want. I think that was more of a Ben Johnson. Hey, you know what? I can probably just take another year and uh, be more comfortable in in the following year when uh, I know I'm going to get some more opportunities. Um, Mm -hmm. So what I really, it kind of goes back to the root that we were talking about here, Bill, where I, I think that David Tepper really believed that if we get all of these different voices in a room, then it can be new, it can be fresh. But at the bottom of it, Tepper is one of these owners who likes to get his hands dirty in a way. Mm-hmm. He, he he likes the metal, I think is a better way of putting it. And <laughs> you know, Albert Breer had a great quote from a former Panther staffer. Uh, quote, his thing is, the minute it gets bad, it's going to get worse. So we better try something else. And you are a man of process, Bill Barnwell. I know that. And David Tepper is not. David Tepper is an impatient person. And while he did keep Matt rule for three years and what we just saw was another end season firing, uh, to me, it has actually been more indicative in his quarterback changes and then things outside of football, which we don't even have to get into, but going from a year of Teddy Bridgewater to again, just re saying, repeating this quote, the minute it gets bad, it's going to get worse. So we better try something else. David Tepper watched Teddy Bridgewater was like, you know what? I didn't enjoy that. Even though you're under contract, um. I just want to get someone else in here then you go to sam darnold guess what same exact thing happens then you go to baker mayfield and it's another one year rather than in a game and team building that requires patience because windows to win are real rebuilding teams are real um he just doesn't want to watch what he believes is bad quarterback play and a bad product and would rather uh have a band-aid on that in his eyes a slight improvement rather than being a bit miserable for a bit of time uh, in a league that I think pays off at times for miserable teams.
0: Oh yeah. I mean, we talked about Ben Johnson, look at the lions, right? Where that was not a, that was a wildly frustrating team to watch at the beginning of the Dan Campbell era. And then they built a culture where things started to click. And now, I believe they were coming off a week where they did not play their best game, but that is one of the most exciting franchises in all of football. And you'd be very optimistic about their chances of succeeding, I believe. I don't want to speak for you, but I know I'm optimistic about their chances over the next few years in terms of competing, not just for a division title, but possibly competing even for an NFL championship. And that does take time. If the Lions had gotten rid of Jared Goff after that first season, which would have hardly been out of the question given that they... They did sort of bench him at one point that year, and he was coming off of a couple frustrating seasons. They would not have reaped the benefits of Jared Goff over the last year and a half, where on the whole, he has generally, last couple of weeks aside perhaps, been a very good quarterback. They did not fire Dan Campbell when he got off to a terrible start in his first year and a half. And he's yep. been a very good coach since then, and his process has generally been very good throughout that time. And... Every situation is different. You can't say, oh, you know, David Tepper would have fired Dan Campbell. He would have gotten rid of Jared Goff. But what we can say is that David Tepper has now had several opportunities to influence who was going to be the quarterback for this football team. Uh pick directly who was going to be the head coach for this football team. They've reportedly gone out and tried to get veteran quarterbacks to come play here. Matthew Stafford comes to mind. Deshaun Deshaun Watson comes to mind. And they have not necessarily wanted to go to Carolina, or they've been at the very least more enthused about the idea of going to play somewhere else. And I think that leads me to my biggest concern with this franchise right now, which is, yes, obviously they have issues. They have personnel issues that need to be addressed and are going to be addressed, whether it's Scott Fitterer or somebody else. They're not changing the quarterback. Bryce Young's right. gonna be the quarterback there next year. But if you were Ben Johnson, if you were another uh, coaching candidate, if you were Mike McDonald in Baltimore, if you were a coaching candidate who had the opportunity to pick between several jobs,
2: yeah. And any like big jobs this offseason, Bill, by the yeah, way. Like right. you, you could walk into a job that potentially has Josh Allen as the quarterback, or yes. walk into a job that has Justin Herbert as the quarterback.
0: Yes. Like is there any reason on the field, off the field to think you would pick the Carolina Panthers yeah, right now?
2: There there is one. A a larger paycheck is one. And I think it's going to depend on that person who gets the offer if they want like a six year seventy-two million dollar deal from David Tepper or what the LA Chargers are gonna give you, you know? And I I in a way. I understand how that is going to cause a person to take time and make that decision, right? Um, I will say, Bill, this is going to be one of those instances where the Panthers probably have to hire someone a year too early, if that mm-hmm. makes sense, um, a la Sean McVay with the Los Angeles Rams. I mean, when he even got that interview, do you remember everyone was like, this guy, we've never heard of him. He's in his <laughs> early 30s. Like, this is just a – like handshake agreement with John Gruden to be nice Mm -hmm. to him. And then he goes and gets hired, right? Mm -hmm. So being a year too early can be super terrifying and super dangerous. But I wonder if it's like a Bobby Slowick out there who has done wonders with the Houston Texans on a weekly basis. We talk about deep crossing routes over the middle of the field. It helps to have great personnel on top of it where, Hey, prior to the season hand up, didn't think that this Texans offense had great personnel, but then you go and read Matt Harmon's work. You look at, you know, separation uh, numbers that ESPN puts out there where tank Dell, one of the best separators already in the NFL. Uh, Nico Collins is low key, like Jalen Waddle in terms of how deep he's targeted down the field, plus his yards after catch Mm -hmm. capabilities. And then also what he does on top of that is help his protection with six, seven, eight person protections to take deeper shots down the field. So like while Bobby Sloak is literally his first year of any type of an elevated role, again, the Panthers might be, if they don't get one of these headliners, in a position where they have to take someone and, and uh, hire someone a year too early.
0: Yes, and and pay them an exorbitant amount yeah. of money, which the money is the least important thing because we know David Tepper has the money. But again, even if you're Bobby Sloak, like maybe this is your first opportunity where someone's going to call you and say, hey, you have this job if you want it it's going to be tough. Like if you have any confidence in your ability to be like a Ben Johnson and go back for another year and prove what you can do again and have better opportunities the following season, it's going to be so tough to take this job and teams have gotten out of this cycle. We saw it with the Niners who hired Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch and gave them six year deals. And that move has worked out for them in San Francisco. We saw with Dan Campbell going to Detroit. I think he also, if I'm not mistaken, got a six year contract to go there. I think, you've had teams recognize and say, hey, uh, this is going to take a while. And even though you've been aggressive firing people in the past, I'm not going to come here unless you give me the sort of significant long-term guarantee that you have not afforded other people. So as we finish up here, Josh, I mean, I I I hesitate to ask you who they should hire because there's not even a... Like, who they should hire and who they're going to be able to hire might be different things. But what are are there characteristics I would say you want to see from the next Panthers head coach, or is it more important to you that you just hire somebody and just have David Tepper get out of the way for, for <sighs> the first three years there in the job?
2: Yeah. I mean, I think that's an unanswerable question in a way because like the names sure. that I've mentioned and Ben Johnson, like you did with Mike McDonald, like to me would probably be the the top two. Yeah. It just like a cohesive plan and adjusting to the strengths of your players. I think is an important way of looking at it. And I think what we have seen with Frank Reich is the adjustments just were not made that he just referred to what he believes has been successful in the past. Um, and then that's it. And that sounds like such a lame and <laughs> generic answer, but it's important. I mean, where they are right now, and I, before we get out of here, I want to stress that I am not absolving Bryce young of mm-hmm. some poor play this year. He should not be throwing it. Pick sixes, right? Um, yes. But I do, I do want to push back on like this notion that he is just a broken, bust quarterback that can't see over the middle of the field. Mm-hmm. Uh, look, we are all, and there are some people who are saying that who I greatly respect. Right, I think they do the work, and they do tremendous work. Um, I firmly believe that those in the long term will be uh, proven incorrect as long as he just has not been ruined after this rookie year. Yes. So,
0: well, the good news, if you enjoyed listening to Josh, talk about football is that he does not solely watch the Carolina Panthers <laughs> and discuss them each and every week. I try to watch Josh every has, team every week. Josh watches a lot of teams throughout the season, not just a best ball sicko, not just a fantasy football hero But a tape grinder as well. Josh Norris contains multitudes. And Josh, please tell the people about all the things you do on a weekly basis and where people can check them out.
2: You know what? I'll prove to people out there that I watch more than the Panthers on a weekly basis. Colt McCoy and I go through and break down an offense every single week on the Underdog Fantasy Football YouTube page. This past week, we actually double-dipped. Uh, we have jordan love and his progression over the last four weeks and how he's like finally gelling and again using this word progression with uh the young pass catchers he has on that team uh, matt Lafleur is doing great work there and then coming out i think tomorrow or friday um, we have an entire investigation into calvin ridley's up and down season with oh the boy. jacksonville jaguars and how these last two games they finally gotten right Uh, spoiler warning. It's not just because Zay Jones is back (laughs) onto the field, uh, despite that narrative that's out there, it is more so about these condensed splits. Uh, again, it's, it's about stacked alignments. It's about getting him closer to the formation and not just putting him on the boundary and allowing him to work a little bit more over the middle of the field. And they've done a great job with that over the last two weeks.
0: Calvin really the first wide receiver to say, oh, stay down there somewhere. I'm going to get open now. (laughs) Uh, I love that. I love Josh's work. Strongly recommend you check him out. And you're on social media as well. Yeah, just at Josh Norris. The best. Josh, we will save the Aston Villa. We'll save the Football Manager 2024 talk. Oh, my gosh.
2: What a season, Bill. Up the Villa. It's
0: very jealous. Very jealous of what's happening there. But that's another conversation for another
2: day. Josh, thank you so much for hopping on. Anytime, Bill. Anytime for you. All
0: right. Thanks so much to my friend, Josh Norris. Obviously, as you can hear, he has been grinding the Panthers tape. He deserves an opportunity to... Uh, basically just get out what he's been waiting to say or been saying uh, on Twitter and in his videos for three months about the Carolina Panthers and their wildly frustrating offense. But I know Josh has been following them very closely and definitely wanted to get his insight there into Carolina. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We have more audio coming next week, including very exciting news. I believe we're going to be having a second show next week, something we did in the past. We're going to have a second show I believe we're taping it Monday nights for Tuesday morning uh, over the rest of the regular season. So Tuesday mornings, you'll wake up, you'll have another Bill Barnwell show episode in your feed talking both about the news from Sunday and Monday and also what we saw on Monday night football. So two shows a week through the end of the regular season. We'll see how that goes. Hope you guys enjoyed it. You've been hopefully enjoying our shows later in the week. But next week. Even more audio coming here on The Bill Barnwell Show.